Welcome to a special live edition of Startupville, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wolsfeld, our host is Dan Gold, and we recently sat down with David Taylor and Gurpreet Sahoda of VersaBank. VersaBank is a publicly traded digital bank, so we sat down with them to learn more about why they think Saskatoon is the place to be, and what else they have cooking up in the world of fintech. Welcome to Startupville. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications. Hello and welcome to Innovation Place. It's a beautiful spring day here in Saskatoon and we're recording a live edition of Startupville. And on today's episode, we are recording in front of a live audience, which is such a pleasure. Gapreet Sahata is here, along with David Taylor, both from VersaBank. Thank you so much for joining us. Please welcome our guests. I, I'm actually going to start with, uh, with David first on this one. Um, I believe that you've got connections to Saskatoon. Oh, indeed I do. Uh, I graduated from this wonderful university in 1983 and um, lived here for a few years. In fact, I lived a little further south in uh, Swift Current, Saskatchewan. So yes, I do have deep connections. So it, it, it intrigues me why you're back here now. How has, how has the journey of VersaBank come to that you are sat here with me in this building on this day? Well, actually, VersaBank was created here in Saskatoon, and um, lucky for me, I was able to hire people right from the university to help develop the software to create the bank. Tell me about the bank. What, what, how, how is it different to anyone else out there on the high street? What's the difference maker? Well, it's, uh, I guess to describe the model, it's, it's probably a bank in its purest sense. We uh, gather deposits from uh, risk-averse individuals that trust us with their savings, and we uh, place those deposits uh, with people uh, that want to buy uh, motorbikes and cars and things, finance them, and, uh, or, or in small businesses. So we, we, t we uh, came up with a unique concept uh, quite a few years ago now, where we thought that our strength would be in creating sort of the pure bank model and leaving the interface with the customers to, to people who are already in contact with the customers. So that was a, new, a unique concept back uh, in the early 90s. It was, uh, I call it an electronic uh, branchless model. Uh, so we developed it all here in Saskatchewan and uh, wrote the software to make it happen. And before the days of the internet, we used telephone modems to connect people. And uh, as time progressed, of course, technology got better and uh, telephone modems were replaced with internet connections and the bank grew and prospered. And uh, you know, so we're, we're very pleased to be here uh, in Innovation Place because uh, at the time I, I was told it was the, the very first example of a, of a branchless a branchless bank, uh, certainly very innovative. Uh, we've kept innovation in our mission statement. We say we're here to provide innovative financial solutions to our clients uh, in uh, selected niche markets. We have this question today, which still uh, occurs 
very often. It's a question of trust. How did you manage to deal with people and their questions when it came to trust in those early days when this is a rel at that time a relatively unknown technology? How were the relationships built and how did you prove your case? Well, that's a, a really good question in that um, uh, somebody in the government <laughs> said, said to me when I was uh, conceiving these ideas that it will never work because people need to walk into physical locations being branch banks and he even pointed out pillars. He said they need to come into pillars and they, they have to talk to their fellow humans being tellers before they hand their, their, uh, their life savings <laughs> over. So what we did is we, we uh, in fact, we're not thinking that we'd replace the human relationship, which I think is extremely important. We, what we do is try to create a technology to enhance the human relationship. So what that meant practically is that we utilized people uh, who were the interface with our, our customers who already had a relationship. And in, on the deposit side, that would be stockbrokers and financial planners and um, insurance salespeople. So they already had the human relationship and the trust built. And all we were doing is giving those, those people the interface uh, with banking products that they could uh, sell on our behalf. So we levered off the existing trust that the humans already had be between each other. And maybe this is a question to both of you. How have you seen the technology changing in the banking sector over, say, the past, let's say, 10 to 15 years? I'll start up, but Gurpreet can certainly add, add to that. <laughs> well, uh, it, from my perspective, it's just got better and better and better. The, 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 the hardware technology is, is that much faster. Uh, the, the memory is, is, is much, much greater. Uh, the speed of, of communications is so much better. And um, it's had a positive impact on, on our customer base in that folks are now uh, very uh, computer literate. Uh, I, you, you don't have to sell them on the idea anymore. In fact, they, 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 want that. they want to deal with an electronic bank versus the old days when uh, they, they didn't know what you're talking about. So yeah, I've seen hardware uh, uh, become a lot better and I've seen the, the, the humans that we deal with have become much more conversant with the use of computers. Uh, so it's, it's a much better time for us now than it was 20 odd years ago when uh, <laughs> most people didn't know how to turn their, their IBM PC on. Yeah, and there was also that uh, shutdown routine to park the heads on the hard disk before switching off, but thankfully yeah. we've moved a long way. Yeah. Capri, you've come into this sector from uh, a, very, a very different side, but from the security side and technology as well. How did you apply what you learned before? And maybe if we go even a step back before that, what is your background that then added value to VersaBank? So um, before coming to VersaBank, I worked at BlackBerry uh, for 16 years. So 2001, um, I was to work with what is essentially a, a Canadian idol in respect to um, technology companies. Um, but I would say beyond Canadian, uh, it's internationally you know, renowned for the BlackBerry. Um, but also um, what is uh, easily forgotten at times is it was a security first um, company. So everything revolved around security. Um, it was one of our core tenants. Um, so in my initial discussions with David in talking about how 
digital assets are now becoming more and more prevalent in uh, everyday life and use cases. Uh, the need to secure those digital assets was becoming uh, more and more, uh, more and more of a need. Um, but what I found was uh, with David's bank, it wasn't just a regular bank where you have the trust of a Schedule One bank. So I had the innovation um, and the ideas of being able to develop something like this before the market has fully matured or has fully accepted some of these digital asset tenants. Um, but going back to one of your earlier points about technology movement or migration in, in the banking industry, I think it's fair to say that um, whether it's been by choice or not, um, the traditional banking sector is moving to a branchless bank. Uh, I think there's less and less need for people to actually um, visit a branch. Uh, and in actual fact, even um, uh, touch or handle physical money. Um, it is essentially becoming what David initially dreamt up, uh, a branchless digital uh, banking system. And I've, I travel the world and I think because I'm a, an extensive traveler in the larger economies, I haven't carried cash for about four years. And if I've had cash, it's been for a really particular reason. But maybe there's, a, I go to an ATM and I look at those fees and I go, actually, no, I think I can do, uh, I can do uh, you know, contactless here or I, I can travel on the London Underground and, and get around by doing contactless. I don't have to get money out. And it's made it easier for me. And I don't have the lining in my pockets being ripped. Um, I, I have seen an awful lot of change in the banking sector. I've been with my bank in the UK. I've been with, I won't name them. Um, but uh, someone on this panel has a connection with them. Um, but I've been with that bank for 40 years, and I have to say that they were incredibly risk-averse at adopting the new technology. They were very um, uh, disparaging, let's say, over uh, just even, even the risk of talking about crypto technology and blockchain. And when I, uh, when I was in London a few weeks ago, I went back to Canary Wharf, and um, my background is, is with the Economist Group on the commercial side. And so through them, I went to a place called Level 39, which is a big fintech uh, incubator there. And I spoke to a number of people. And it's the funding model there is the banks have uh, a little fund that goes towards this unit. Whilst at the same time, you go to the branches and they say, no, we'd never do that. No, we're not interested in that. No, you shouldn't do it. Come and uh, come at, come open and are you interested? And it's all about upselling something, which it's, it's night and day. And I see what you're doing. And it's a breath of fresh air. But it's a breath of fresh air that has a lot of air behind it because you've got such heritage and history but you're evolving and you've moved forwards with the times and, and truly been leaders. Quick question to you both. Cryptocurrency, good idea, bad idea, discuss. Well, frankly, I think it's a good idea and uh, I don't know who's listening to me now, probably governments all around the world have probably got my name. Uh, <laughs> uh, with down on the list. <laughs> yes, indeed. But I, I like the purity of a cryptocurrency. I like the no interference. Um, I, I like the aspect uh, that uh, it's somewhat untraceable. I, I 
kind of think it's personal business and, and government shouldn't be uh, peering into what, what people are doing, what they're spending. Uh, I don't, you know, particularly don't like it the way governments uh, inflate currencies to uh, fund uh, perhaps things that they wouldn't be able to get votes for. Um, say wars, for example. Uh, difficult time going into a democracy uh, and asking for everybody to shell out 500 bucks to start a war. But it's very easy to, to uh, create public debt and uh, in, in fact inflate a currency and thereby put a sort of um, hidden tax on people. So I like the purity of a, a cryptocurrency. Uh, I think they're here to stay. I, I think um, because as we humans, we like that. Uh, uh, and um, uh, you know, it's, it's in the early stages it grew fairly rapidly and now you know, a, little bit of, uh, a little bit of experience in the uh, people getting used to it and the influx of, of government regulation. But I think it's here to stay. I think it's uh, something that we humans want. Where do you stand? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Terrible, awful, uh, dreadful thing. I, I think the, the general premise of cryptocurrency is a good thing. Um, but not so far as saying all cryptocurrencies are good. We've seen that. Um, so applied for the, for the right reasons in the right way, absolutely. Um, you've probably seen, like I said, with the example of more and more people uh, carrying less and less cash. Um, and essentially everything being a digital transaction. Um, but more importantly, um, I, I mean, five to maybe even 10 years ago, um, the average person ordering something online was a difficult task. They had to get over the, can I trust the person at the other end? And am I sure that they're gonna send something to me? And then how do I actually send money to them? Um, so, you know, the advent of PayPal at that time was revolutionary. And I think this is the, the next uh, generation of that or the next um, version of that. But more importantly, uh, cryptocurrency essentially allows us to become borderless. It becomes um, the ability for us to be able to trade globally. So going back to the example there, instead of buying something, say, locally in Canada, um, there are people now that feel more comfortable ordering something directly from a country in Asia or South America. Um, however, having said that, um, if, you're a, if you're a merchant or a vendor in South America and you're tied to your government's currency and it doesn't seem to be doing all that well, um, then you're kind of left uh, with not many choices, let's just say. Um, however, if you're innovative enough and you have a presence that allows you to um, provide goods and services that are needed somewhere else where the currency might be a little stronger, um, you've got the ability to leverage something like cryptocurrency and not really be tied or have a barrier. However, having said that, uh, a lot of this comes down to use case. So until there's adoption, until there's an ease of use um, and a trust aspect of things, um, it's going to be hard to kind of uh, move through those barriers. Uh, but we're seeing more and more of it. We're seeing a lot of the cryptocurrency um, developers uh, providing their access to their platforms for traditional banking services, um, trying to improve, uh, trying to make them more efficient, trying to add that trust aspect in, uh, of things, and essentially remove the human element. There are a number of banks in this world who have said, 
we aren't buying into the big picture of cryptocurrencies or the wider blockchain as it is, but we're assessing these technologies and how we can use them to improve internal processes. I'm a complete layman when it comes to this one, but I, what, what I see there is more disconnected systems working in-house, not talking, one computer not talking to another one, suddenly everyone adopts different standards. What needs to happen in the banking system for, for an industry to go, ah, yeah, we get it? Well, I think the banking industry is at the point where they're saying, oh, we get it. It's just that they're slow in adapting and, and uh, utilizing the blockchain. But each of our Canadian banks uh, has a project to, to utilize blockchain for various record keeping. Um, I like the idea of um, international trade records being kept on a blockchain. Uh, working, as you know, for, with an international bank for years, uh, we did it with paper and uh, signatures and such, and a blockchain is, uh, would be a wonderful uh, use for, uh, for keeping records of international uh, trade. Now, I'm really interested in your uh, project, VersaVault. What is it? Tell me how it works. Not every piece of IP, clearly, because there might be people with notes or recording this. Mike, are you recording this? Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> thanks, Mike. Um, so, first of all, what is it, who's it for, and uh, what work went into developing it? I can give you just a sort of preamble, and uh, Gurpreet can fill in uh, as, as much detail as you, <laughs> you feel comfortable with. The, the idea was, uh, with, with our bank, is to apply digital technology to the banking industry in places where we think uh, the, the industry needs it. And, and this uh, was, was fairly simple. Uh, all, all traditional banks have safety deposit boxes and they're usually located in the, in the, in the basement of the bank uh, behind a great big, huge iron, uh, iron wall and a huge vault. And, and folks uh, for, for centuries have uh, stored their valuables in, the, in these safety deposit boxes. But in the last few years, as, as we've been uh, talking, um, uh, assets are now, in, in a lot of assets in, in form of a, a digital form that could be stored in some sort of a digital uh, format in, in the, and our job as, bank, as a bank uh, was to provide a, um, a safe, secure place for these digital assets to be stored, not uh, very analogous to the, the physical vault. So that was the idea, that was the genesis of it. And, um, and then, of course, um, when we, we uh, announced that we were creating a digital vault, uh, we were virtually inundated uh, with folks that um, uh, had a, a huge demand for the storage of uh, cryptocurrency keys and such. Uh, and it sort of moved in that direction from the original concept of a, a digital safety deposit box. So I'll let Gurpreet uh, uh, add all to that. Sure. So, um during our initial discussions, as David mentioned, um, the idea was around securing digital assets. Um, but what we found was cryptocurrency being the most prominent one uh, in the industry today uh, in respect to uh, highly valuable assets, um, but where security and trust seem to be the largest uh, issue. Um, so there were two things, uh, Versa Bank being a bank, um, having trusted processes, um, regulated, compliant, 
um, but also at the same time, Versa Bank essentially having the innovative and, and development staff um, that would essentially be able to take an idea and, and put something out there. So that's where VersaVault started to evolve. Um, and the, the, the key problem that we found that customers were facing was um, something like Bitcoin or the other cryptocurrencies. Um, the actual uh, blockchain aspect of things or the, the keys aspect of things is actually secure. If used correctly, it's, it's secure. The issue itself becomes the management or the handling of the private key, i.e. the secret that ties you to a specific wallet that contains a specific amount of currency. Um, until that issue becomes uh, something that is easily resolvable for uh, the general population, um, I think it's, it's key for um, folks such as us in the industry to kind of step up and say, we can help secure that. Um, I know that in the cryptocurrency world, you know, banks aren't necessarily the good guys because they're trying to move to a decentralized platform. Um, however, at the same time, uh, if you look at what banks are doing, they're helping you secure things. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily break the decentralization of, of blockchain or cryptocurrency. In actual fact, what it allows you to do is add that degree of trust and security and potentially regulation that you need in order to be able to um, hold digital assets of value uh, on behalf of either yourself or, or your customers. Um, and that's essentially the premise behind VersaVault. Just a quick show of hands of uh, people in this room. Um, who recently heard a media story about a gentleman who uh, sadly passed with the access to all the money. Just a quick show of hands. Yeah, I think we know which story we're talking about. Um, so for me, when I was thinking about this interview and what we were going to do today, it's one of those things that highlighted for me where there is a great opportunity for VersaBank and what VersaBank can do for people to insure against issues like that. I mean, I, it's not clearly not a laughing matter. A lot of people are out of money, and you know, there's a, there's a death attached to it as well. But if you just take a step back and look at it, there's a process problem, and you've clearly identified there's an opportunity here to make things better for people. Um, so as we get on to why Saskatoon and Saskatchewan, you've obviously uh, got a link to here, David. Um, but why not? Why not Bay Street? Why not Wall Street? Why not uh, you know the City of London? Why go for a smaller centre? Because you're you're based in. Am, am I right to say um, in London, Ontario? Head office is London, Ontario, officially, and we have two innovation centres. We have one at located at the airport at London, Ontario, and we have one here. So we, you know, particularly why we, we like Saskatchewan, why we like Saskatoon, why we like being on the campus, uh, we're looking for um, uh, a ready supply of, of innovative, creative uh, people in, in our area. And being on a university campus, of course, is, is wonderful for that. It's the happy hunting ground for an employer. Um, in fact, I think we have 10 people uh, working for us from the University of Saskatchewan, another five from uh, SIASC. Uh, so it's it's an uh, abundance of, of qualified uh, people that are are uh, readily available, 
And it, it tends to be, um, maybe it's because of the pioneering background or the experience or something, it tends to be a bit more entrepreneurial uh, outlook uh, when you're in, in a province like Saskatchewan. Um, maybe people think out of the box a little more because they had to pass in the past <laughs> with the enemy being the weather. Uh, to, to, whereas if you go to a place like Bay Street, it's very compartmentalized, it's very focused. Um, I hate, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions for some of the colleagues in Bay Street, but uh, I, I, I found uh, places like, like this campus uh, to be more prone to think uh, creatively and, and, uh, and the employees uh, to be uh, more contributors than they would uh, in, the, in a place like uh, downtown Toronto. And Capri, you've made a transatlantic journey to be a part of this story. The, the opportunities in the UK are massive in fintech. It, it's it's world-renowned for it, even with everything. And I don't want to date this or time this or mention Brexit at all, but uh, even with all the things going on with that, uh, yeah, now it's after Brexit. Okay, we can't mention this anymore. Um, but even with the instability being caused by that, it's a fantastic market to be in. Why are you in Canada? Is it, is it as you said, is it as you said, for the same reason that I am? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, both, we both followed our hearts to Canada. It's true. <laughs> Not together, but just... <laughs> <laughs> There's something we need to tell you. <laughs> Not. But... Uh, I, I'm very passionate about the opportunities that are here in Canada. As, a, as, a, as an immigrant to Canada, I find that there is a lot of uh, opportunity and people willing to try things mm -hmm. rather than being, you know, I love London to pieces, but um, there is a, there's a very strong echo chamber of this is the way we do it with the world leader, boom, 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 mm -hmm. where here there's the opportunity to be in that leader group and work with some incredibly talented people here. Um, you're Ontario-based? Correct. You're Ontario-based. And um, uh, this is the bit for me from a Saskatchewan point of view. Obviously, there's two people here who have uh, Saskatchewan experiences. Are you thinking of spending at least six months of the year <laughs> in, uh, in Saskatchewan? We'll be gentle on you, maybe just the summer months. Actually, let's it, change that. It, it, Three months. I was going to say. Three months in the summer. It would have to be the right number of months <laughs> at the right time of the year. And hopefully I can kind of bank some of those months for other years. So it, I don't have to do it consecutively. Can you put that into his contract? <laughs> <laughs> I, tried, I, I tried to put that into my brother's contract. Where, where is he here? I, I told him uh, if he got, could get through the winter, he'd be all right. Uh, and he did. He made it through, uh, barely, of course. And, uh, and then, of course, there was a spring for about 30 minutes, half an hour, uh, there was spring. And then there was summer. And John, for what, you had about a week or something to bask in the sunshine. And then it was the worst year for mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> they descended upon you. But since then, it's all been, it's all been a bright upside, hasn't it, John? Yeah. yeah. Good answer. Right answer. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Ten points. Um, so one as as we're wrapping this up, because uh, I, I want people to have the opportunity to get in touch with you, to be able to find out more and to get in, in contact with you as people. But something that I'm uh, really intrigued about is 
we've got a lot of uh, tech companies in the startup space. We've got a lot of mature companies with uh, whether it's uh, whether it's Vendasta or it's SED or the others. You've gone on the journey from startup through IPO. That journey, how did your world change? Well, um, it changed in that uh, at first I was a fresh, young, naive entrepreneur that thought uh, uh, this, this sort of new idea was, uh, was the times were ready for the new idea. So full of uh, enthusiasm, excitement, and, and all those good things. And then as time progressed, I, I felt the, the weight of the world on me, <laughs> particularly industry that I happened to choose, and that being the banking industry. I, I found that um, uh, it, it's not an environment similar to what you said about the UK environment, not an environment that's sort of conducive for, for, for new ideas. Uh, so I, I, I got a big surprise. I found that I had to sell my ideas uh, to, to government regulators and others uh, pretty, pretty uh, forcefully to, to, get, to get it to go through, even though, as we all know, th those ideas were the, right, were the right ideas and they actually turned out quite well. But uh, I, I went from a sort of a naive young fellow uh, thinking uh, this is a, that the idea itself will, will sell itself to, um, to quite a, a warrior <laughs> to bring that idea to fruition. Uh, so that's, that's the unfortunate, I would say that to any entrepreneur that's looking to start out, if you, if you find your idea is going to be in a regulated world, you've got your, got your work cut out for you. How did you find the, the side of the organization where you went from something that's 100% your, I, I don't want to say your toy or your baby, but your, your world, to then going into a space where it's, ah, there's, there's suddenly other interests in this business. There's other accountability within this business as well. How, how does that nature change you? Well, that's uh, particularly applicable in the banking industry. We have numerous stakeholders, whether it be depositors, borrowers, uh, government officials, uh, uh, all looking over our shoulder. Now we're a public company, shareholders. So, yeah. Uh, you have to compromise. Uh, if, if we were just a pure innovative company creating a, a new products um, without shareholders looking for rates of return, we'd probably do things a little differently. Might spend a bit more time on, on, on new products. But what I have to do is I have to balance how fast we can bring this idea to a commercial stage where it pays off. And, and I have to look at ideas and say, well, hmm, this is a wonderful idea, but it might take 10 years. <laughs> and the shareholders in today's world are looking for results every quarter. So it, it does change your, your outlook uh, to, to look at ideas with respect to how fast they can turn into money, um, which, which is kind of sad at times, but that's, that's where we've, we've, what I've seen in the 40 odd years I've been in the, in the, in the business world, uh, the, the uh, type of uh, the uh, patience that shareholders have, investors, is, is a fraction of what it used to be back, back in the early days. In the early days, you might have five years to execute your plan. Now you've got a quarter. And just on that, just as, as we're wrapping up, as I've mentioned, Capri, I, when, when you're in that situation where you are a, a public company and you want to invest some, some more time and money into those, those technical products, where is the balance in mind? Obviously, you're going to take security as the absolute priority. 
But how much time do you need to perfect something, getting it past the alpha, beta, etc. stages, and knowing 100% that you're ready for the release on the client? So how how does that work as a process? It, it's um, it, it's an evolution depending on the product or the technology or the platform. Um, obviously, in your first iteration, if it's alpha or pre-alpha that's where you're doing, a, uh, hopefully doing some of the framework of that testing. Um, but going back to the security aspect, um, the security first aspect of things is something that we're trying to embed into uh, products such as VersaVault. So it's not an afterthought, so we're not trying to um, plug th things in um, or patch them per se uh, to have them feel secure. It's actually um, built by design to be secure. Um, and then obviously the testing aspect of things, um, until we're confident that we've hit certain tests uh, and we've reached a specific maturity and pass level in those tests, we wouldn't go to the next gate. Um, so even in the beta testing, for example, on the VersaVault side, we wouldn't be doing live transactions or live um, user data per se. Um, it would all be uh, test data until we're comfortable that uh, everything that we put in is being um, processed correctly. Security controls are being tested the entire time, and things are coming back with green check marks. That just leaves me to say a very big thank you to you both for joining us here on Startupville. Um, we've got a few minutes. Normally, I'd wrap it here, but we don't have an audience. And, and we let me just prove to you again that we have an audience. Uh, Startupville. You're awesome people. Um, uh, does anyone have a question? And if it's if it's if there is no such thing as a bad question, I've I've just been asking questions. I know that some of them are stronger than others, so there is no such thing as a bad question. Anyone's got a question for the guys here? As you sit in this room here, it's like going to an auction <laughs> with an item you want to sell, and everyone's doing their poker face that they don't want to be the person putting in the high bid. Anyone with any questions? We've got a question. I'm going to come over to the back of the room. Sir, so if you'd like to stand up and state your name and then ask your question. I mean, Wade McMean. Uh, my question is, how many companies have you taken public in your career? David. Jeez, um, four. <laughs> four, Wade. <laughs> you like the process, then? Well, um, I'm familiar with the process, so it's 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 sort of a, uh, that's an analogy that you, that you'd say about a carpenter. He, he fixes uh, uh, everything with a hammer. <laughs> well, I know how to I know how to create public companies, so perhaps that's one of the reasons. But then again, it's it's uh, it's fun to share your ideas with the public. It's it's fun to uh, see see your uh, shareholders do well with with an idea and. Uh, in the early days of public companies, it was a lot more fun. Like I say, nowadays the uh, the, the requirement for instantaneous results is kind of kind of wearing. Uh, regulation is a tremendous burden, uh, way more than it ever used to be. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> there's a few. <laughs> and any more questions on that note? We must have one more. One more question. Someone's got a question. Even if you're related, you can have a question. <laughs> Okay, actually, I'm coming over here first. Sir, what is your name and what's your question? My name's Hugh Foster, and I'm just wondering uh, if Gabriel could tell us what his two major obstacles were with the creation of VersaVault. Great question. 
So uh, I guess the two major obstacles was, um, or would have been, uh, one is obviously time to market. You wanna, you wanna be out there faster um, than you can be. Um, but that's, I think, an obstacle that everyone pretty much faces when you're trying to make sure things are right uh, and in place. Um, and then the, the other aspect of things was just, uh, it's not really an obstacle per se, but it was the sheer demand at the same time from a number of uh, clients that were calling us and requesting or requiring that we have the vault ready for them to onboard ASAP uh, when, when we initially made the, uh, the public announcement of VersaVault um, and then basically being able to uh, tamper the, their, um, their urgent uh, needs so that they can essentially be, still be there when we're ready to go to market, which has worked out pretty well for us. And I, I think we've got one final question from the crowd. No one knows this gentleman, especially no one on the panel. Uh, excuse me, sir, what is your name and what is your question? My name is John Doe. <laughs> it's John Taylor. My question is just concerning cryptocurrency uh, security. Authentication is obviously critically important. Could you talk a little bit, maybe at 5,000 feet, without too many details about authentication and how important that is? So basically with cryptocurrency, um, as I mentioned before, the, your ownership of cryptocurrency or the wallet that contains cryptocurrency is associated with a private key. It's very difficult for someone to be able to understand what that key really is or rep represents other than that wallet. Um, so having the ability to implement something like digital identity um, that, is, uh, that essentially proves who you are. So it's Gurpri and it's not some random person or a made up uh, pseudonym on the internet that essentially owns this wallet, that would essentially help, uh, I believe, a lot of the cryptocurrency uh, industry in respect to um, nor, uh, the mass adoption, because right now the, the complexity of sending something um, through cryptocurrency to someone else, you're sending it to a very long hexadecimal string. You, you don't know that hexadecimal string is actually John Doe or it's actually a black hole, because in some cases it can be. So being able to actually uh, specify and identify that I'm actually sending it to John Doe, and it's coming from me, Gurpreet, is gonna be uh, a big benefit. Um, but digital identity, I think, in general, um, for both the banking industry, but just all industry, um, not just in North America, but I think globally is gonna become key, because like I said, um, everything is becoming digitized. All our transactions, interactions are becoming digitized versus um, the in-person transactions or the physical transactions. Um, and as such, uh, we can't always use specific social media profiles as a way of uh, identifying who we are. We need some way of tying it back to who we really are, i.e. the driving license that you carry around. So. Um, we're looking at ways that we could be able to um, provide something like that or work with other folks in the industry um, to, to have that type of adoption because I think it would make uh, a huge difference, uh, not just locally, but to the cryptocurrency um, ecosystem overall. And a very big thank you to John Doe for that question. <laughs> <laughs> we never plant anyone in audiences, but that's the closest you're going to get. Um, I'd like people to have the opportunity to connect with you 
as human beings, because I value human-to-human -human connections, how could uh, people find out more about VersaBank and then connect with you two individually? Uh, I'll start with Capri on this one. Um, so VersaBank.com. <laughs> and then uh, uh, you can essentially on, uh, navigate to VersaVault, which will bring up a, a contact, um, which will essentially make its way to me. I'm guessing that's what you were asking. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> we don't want phone numbers or email addresses. It's absolutely fine. And uh, David, is if you want have a way that people get in touch with you that isn't that way, or that's the way that you'd like everyone to get in touch? People, uh, people do contact me through LinkedIn, and um, the the uh, we have a contact uh, email address on our website. Uh, so we we welcome uh, comments and ideas and. Uh, uh, you know, folks that uh, want to do bus business with us uh, or just, just generally ask me about airplanes or, or something like that. <laughs> oh, I like airplanes. We could have a long conversation about that just after this. I won't record it in this because I think I'll end up boring a lot of people. Uh, Gapreet Sahota, Chief Architect of Cybersecurity at VersaBank. David Taylor, President and CEO of VersaBank, thank you so much for joining us on Startupville. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place, helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, and produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at WeTellYourStories.ca. Our show is produced by me, Mike Wolsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from GG Riggs and Reactor Productions. Learn more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com startupville, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Startupville Pod. See you next time on Startupville.